Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Fear Factor was a show that was on about 20 or so years ago. I'm sure most of you remember having watched Fear Factor at the time. In fact, Amanda and I have been watching a lot of the old reruns of it on Hulu. And so what Fear Factor was in a nutshell was you had these six contestants on every episode who were undergoing a series of scary and terrifying challenges in the hopes of winning a grand prize of $50,000. And so to give us an idea of what the rounds ordinarily look like was you would have an opening round where you would be in a coffin. You would be strapped into a coffin for like four minutes and they would dump a thousand or so rats on top of you. And so you have to spend four minutes of your life with with all of these rats climbing all over your your arms and your legs and your face and they, they are scratching and they're clawing and they're biting. Well, round two is usually when the element of shock and disgust comes in where they sit everybody down and they make you eat actual cow brains and I mean each one of these cow brains is as large as a porterhouse steak and you only have about two or three minutes and you have to eat like three cow brains well if you're lucky enough to reach it into the very end in the finals you would have to do something like get into a car crash where you take a drop off a 10-story roof and probably flip your car and as they also warn you in advance your car might also catch fire so so no pressure there right and so fear factor was a show that was so controversial that it was yanked off the air relatively quickly and yet the idea behind fear factor was do this stunt and prove how brave and unafraid you really are or as I would like to also add Do this stunt and prove to us all how absolutely crazy you are. And I mean, every single episode that we watch, I say the exact same thing to my wife, where it's like, I can't even look at just one rat. I can't even watch that round that has all those rats because of how scared I am of rats. I mean, if I was on that show, that would be entirely too hard and difficult. I mean, it would be impossible for me to lie there with all those rats crawling on me. And so on this show, Fear Factor, anybody who was unwilling to ever do any of these stunts or who tried but weren't exactly able to to, um, successfully execute it, they would leave the show in what was called the walk of shame. Or you would just slowly saunter off into the distance in disgrace because you were were a failure in essence. And yet what is astounding to me about Fear Factor is most of the contestants, really for the most part, are more than willing to eat the cow brains and to tolerate four minutes of rat bites. And I mean, really what it is is a testament to the truth that most people will literally do anything, and I mean anything, for money. And yet in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, Jesus speaking to his apostles says this, Mark chapter 10 and starting at verse 23, 
where it says in the text, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24 says, And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard and difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And yet then in verse 26, we see the apostles asking Jesus a very big, enormous, important question where it says that they were exceedingly astonished and they said to Jesus, well, if that's true, Jesus, then who in the world can be saved? Jesus says that it is extremely hard and difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, of course, this is in reference to a person who we don't even know his name. We just know him by a nickname that appears in our headings in our Bibles. And that is who? It is the rich young ruler. And we would have absolutely loved this guy. Now what do we know about the rich young ruler? Well, obviously he was very rich. Luke in his account says that he was extremely, extremely rich. We know that he was a ruler. We don't know if he ran a synagogue, if he was a magistrate officer, but it seems like every element, every component of his being is just emanating opulence and splendor. Or here's a man who is in the prime of his life, and he's got money, and he's got possessions, and he's got knowledge, and, and he is honoring God in his conduct and in his lifestyle. What I love most about the rich young ruler is how we are introduced to him. It says in some accounts that, that he approaches Jesus not merely walking, but, but he is a grown man who is running towards Jesus as fast as he can sprint. It was a very prevalent question in that age of, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And as the apostles are standing there, I imagine in their minds what they're thinking is, well, this guy has it in the bag. Money is the timeless, universal symbol of power and success in this world. In this first century Hebrew world and, and in this first century Hebrew culture, when a person had a lot of money, a lot of belongings, this was God's confirmation that how this person has God's favor and blessing on their life. And so when the rich young ruler walked around, whenever he showed his face in public, he had a halo gravitating over his head. And if you got just close enough, you could hear angels humming from the throne of God announcing, this guy is a righteous person just because he is wealthy. Well, there's more that we read about the rich young ruler, though, isn't there? Now, the apostles are standing there thinking that if anybody could ever get into God's kingdom, it would be this guy. And yet, notice how Jesus replies to him. Where earlier on in the text, in verse 19, he says that you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Verse 20, he says to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept since my youth. Now I find it very interesting, notice how Jesus is only referencing those commandments that pertain to our relationships with our fellow man. 
And notice especially very closely that, that he is intentionally omitting all of those other commands which have to do with us and God. Namely, that you shall have no other gods before me. And the way that Jesus responds to the rich young ruler then, it reads just like a revelation letter to a church. Where yes, you have all of this righteous beauty about you. Yes, you are doing this right and that right and that right. And yet I've got this against you, Jesus says. Or more specifically in this text, what he says is, but one thing you are lacking. There's something missing here, Jesus says. There is a parasite that is infesting your soul that is slowly suffocating your spirit to death. Verse 21, what we read, what Jesus says is, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me, Jesus says. Do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will prove that you are ready to follow me as a disciple of mine, Jesus says. And yet, as we all know in this story, as we've known much of our lives, there is a barrier that is blocking his pathway to life. And of all things, it is the very thing that, that so many people who knew him envied him for, coveted for their own selves, dreamed about having they themselves, and that was all of this money, and all of his stuff, and his status of honor in this very hierarchical system. Where Jesus is saying in so many other words that you love your stuff and you love all of your possessions and your money with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And yet I need you to love me just like that. And then all of a sudden before our very eyes, this turns into an episode of Fear Factor where he is so shocked and he is so disgusted at what Jesus says that what he reasons in his heart is that that is entirely too hard and too difficult. In fact, that is impossible. I mean, Jesus, you may as well have said that you wanted me to eat a thousand rats. No, the rich young ruler does not want less stuff. He wants more stuff. He does not want to become the poor young ruler. He wants to become the richer young ruler. He does not want a lesser seat at the banquet table. He wants a greater seat of honor at the banquet. And so thus, his decision has just been made. And he's made a choice. And that choice is to turn around and to walk away from Jesus on the walk of shame, this walk of sadness where it is such a universal truth, where we see so many People who have all of the money and all of the belongings in the world, but, but they're miserable and they are sad and dead inside. And this is when Jesus starts lamenting. He says how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it's pressing so much on his heart that he says it twice. He says how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, that does not mean that every single person who is poor in the world has been strapped to a rocket ship going straight into heaven. 
That does not mean that every single rich person, every single wealthy person is on the expressway to hell no matter what. Job was a very wealthy person. He was the most upright man on the face of the earth. Joseph, who we read about in the Gospels of, of Arimathea, he was a very wealthy man who did all kinds of beautiful things for Jesus. There have been all kinds of, of um, incredible people in the history of our church who have had all kinds of money, who, who are still blessing this congregation even in their wake. And yet, as Jesus said that it is so very hard and difficult, that word difficult in the Greek language means literally problematic. It means that it is exceedingly hard to pass through something. And it's just so tragic whenever the rich young ruler's name is mentioned because he's such a tragic figure. Because he was so close to life. And yet simultaneously he was so far away from life at the same time. We would have absolutely loved this guy. And I mean that because in so many ways we are this guy. Or if we are not this guy this morning, we have been this guy many years of our past. I think our struggle is we hear that word rich and what comes to our minds is Jeff Bezos. It's Donald Trump. It's Bill Gates. It's people who have billions of dollars. And we just feel so poor and destitute standing next to those guys. And yet then we are reminded of the reality that we follow a Lord who had everything in heaven, but, but who chose and, and who elected to come down into this world of corruption and darkness and disease so that he could live a homeless existence in his adult years, so that he would be later referred to as the man of sorrows who, who had, had nothing in this world but his heavenly Father who laid down his life on a cross for a world who despised him. Amen. And I mean, when we stand next to Jesus, suddenly we feel so lavishly rotten affluent. And what we learn from Jesus is that we don't have to own the color blue in order to be rich, do we? Because after all, a rich person is a person who owns a car so that they don't have to walk. It's a person who owns a house so that they don't have to live in a car outside of a church building. It's a person who has more than a day's worth of food so that they don't have to starve. It's a person who has fans and air conditioning units in their house to the extent that they are cool in the middle of July so that they don't have to suffer a heat stroke. These are all luxuries that we are indulging in right now. Amen. And I'll never forget... and. LA Times article that it estimated that the average American has more than 300,000 items in their house. A lot of Americans have even more than that, by the way. I mean, we're living in a country where even our, our own dogs have multiple supermarkets for us to choose from. Mm -hmm. And those dog supermarkets by far are, are a whole lot cleaner and nicer than, than any other supermarket, any other country in the world. We're living in a country where even in the middle of a pandemic, our land of milk and honey makes the Israelites' land of milk and honey look like a barren wasteland, look like a third world country. And so as we really consider all of this and we piece this all together, 
What registers in at least my mind is that, yes, we are the rich young ruler. We are Bill Gates and we are King Solomon. As Jesus uses that word rich, what that means in the Greek language, it can mean money, yes. But mainly what it means is possessions and the abounding of muchness. And it doesn't matter if we have holes in our shoes this morning. If we've got all those other things, we are abounding in muchness. And yet as it says that the apostles had been amazed at what Jesus had been saying, what this means in color in the Greek language is they were being astounded in a way that was horrifying to them. Almost inflicting a panic within them. That it is that hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yes. Really the snare of materialism is, is the pride of accomplishment. When we're looking around our house at this empire we have built, and what we're thinking in our minds is, I earn all of this stuff. All of this stuff belongs to me. This is mine, and I made all of this happen. And yet mainly what, what a great um, a danger is about materialism is so often we start looking towards money and possessions for our happiness. We want our, all of our material, all of our possessions to um, soothe us. It's what we trust in to deliver us from our problems and from our woes. And yet what Jesus is saying over here though, what King Solomon would also have us know in the book of Ecclesiastes is that all of this stuff is nice for, for a little short while. And yet in the grand scheme of eternity, it is fool's gold. It is the accumulation and the acquisition of dust. It is an anchor that is enslaving us to the flesh and to this world rather than, than to the spirit and to heaven. Where the tragic aftermath is, is that rather than possessing our possessions, our possessions start possessing us. And yet here is Jesus standing way over here, calling to us, inviting us, pleading with us to be possessed by His grace. And to be possessed by His love to the extent that we begin giving that to everybody who we lay eyes on. And so I mean, just how difficult is it for us rich men and rich women to enter into the kingdom of God? Well, it's so hard that you can be a disciple of Christ and still throw it all away. Man and I were, were at a conference many years ago at, at Harding University. And we didn't really get to enjoy it much because there, there had been um, a couple there who were in a pyramid scheme trying to recruit other people. It's just the bane of my existence. Whenever I, I am approached by anybody who is in a pyramid scheme and it's high-pressure sales, I feel like um, asking them, you know what, if I were to just reach into my wallet right now and give you all of the cash in my wallet, would you just stop talking to me like, like forever? But... One of them had taken Amanda off on her own, which is a red flag to begin with. But what question that they asked Amanda was, do you want to get rich? Amanda, do you want to get rich? And I mean, it would be so nice to have a lot of money to be generous to the poor, to be generous in a local church. I mean, I, I understand all of that, but the way that that question had been asked it just made the hairs on my arms shoot up. 
Because what immediately jumped out in my mind is the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 6, but those who want to get rich, those who want to get rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And then it says that it is through this craving, this longing, that some have wandered away from the faith. And they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Amen. No, not everybody who is rich is going straight to hell. That is not true at all. You can be as rich as Bill Gates and absolutely honor and glorify God. And yet when I hear those specific words though in the text, I always think of the name Judas Iscariot. Well, David, Judas Iscariot was not rich. I mean, he was just an ordinary guy. Well, well, no, he was not rich. And then yet again, yes, he was rich. Because he was rich in the sense that he was one of those eyewitnesses of, of almost the, the whole entire earthly ministry of Christ. I mean, the guy spent three years living with Jesus Christ in a visible sense. And yet just because he has this association with Jesus it does not mean that he's in the kingdom, does it? Because just about every time that his name is coming up in Scripture, it is infamous, it is notorious that, that he was stealing from, from his brothers. Or most infamously of all, as we all know, he is betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas had a barrier in his life that was blocking his entrance into life, slowly suffocating his soul to death. And so what was the walk of shame for Judas Iscariot? It was him throwing all of that blood money back at the people who had offered it to him. And yet ultimately, his walk of shame is to a tree branch. Whereas the sun came up, his lifeless body had been swaying in the morning breeze. Our very last glimpse at Judas Iscariot is he left this world as a rat caught in a mousetrap with a tiny little sliver of cheese scattered on the wayside. I mean, just how difficult is it for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? Well, it's so difficult that it is literally impossible. Jesus says that it is impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He does that in two ways in our text. First of all, he cites a Jewish proverb that was well in circulation in this time, where oftentimes it would be an elephant walking through the eye of a needle. Now here in our text, it is a camel who is passing through the eye of a needle. There are a lot of scholars who believe that this is in part reference to a wall in Jerusalem that was so low that you would literally have to remove everything that was weighing down a camel so that that camel could actually walk underneath that um, wall in that entrance. And yet mainly what this means in the original language is literally a needle and a thread. And so what this is, is the concept, it is, it is a, a hyperbole of the largest animal in Palestine walking through the very smallest, most insignificant of our belongings. And then another way Jesus says that it is impossible is when he says that it is impossible in verse 27. Jesus says it is impossible. 
Now that word impossible is the exact same word used in the book of Acts as it refers to a man who is crippled. And it says there in Acts that he could not use his legs. And Jesus uses this really exact same word as he says that it is impossible, it is pointless for a rich man to enter into life. It is impossible. In other words, if you want to walk the Jesus walk, it is impossible to do that by your own power and wisdom and wealth. It is impossible to enter into life merely through our own performance of law-keeping. You see, we can never sing enough songs or go to enough worship assemblies to obligate God to say, okay, I'm going to let you in because of all of that. And so what Jesus says is first, it is so hard and difficult, but then he even says, and he ups the ante, he says it's impossible. And yet there is also a word of hope in our text, a word that completely changes everything. We probably glossed over it a moment ago, but... It's found in the word children. Children, how difficult it is. See, this is a reminder that no matter how old we become, if we want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, it all begins with having the heart of a child. Yet we're also reminded in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. And so we see Jesus laments that it is extremely difficult for a rich man to enter into eternal life. So difficult, in fact, Jesus says that it is impossible. And yet as that verse ends in verse 27, what he also says is that all things are possible with God. All things are possible to all of those who understand that the time to sell is right now. And no, Jesus is not literally saying, he's not expecting every last one of us to get rid of our house, our car, our china cabinets, or our fishing poles. But what this does mean is that the rich young ruler's love of stuff just happened to reach a point where this is his version of needing to gouge out an eye or to chop off a hand so that he could enter into life crippled and blind and yet still be inside God's kingdom. Matthew says it a little more with, with an insight as he says that it is only with difficulty that a rich man will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So as we bring this to a close this morning to all of us rich young rulers and rich old rulers, I just want to ask us all a big question. And that just simply is, what are we clinging to this morning? What are we trusting to that comes from this world and that appeals to our flesh. I just want to ask you as well as me, myself, do you want to get rich? Do you want to get rich? And yet when I use that word rich, I'm not talking about a pyramid scheme or even about money. And yet I'm referring to what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth when he says that Jesus Christ even though he was rich and opulent in heaven, made himself poor, coming to this world, dying on a criminal's cross, so that through his poverty, we might become, and then he uses the word rich. 
It's what we learn from the rich man Lazarus, how in the afterlife, really everything is reversed. That it is the poor who chase dead presidents and, and fast cars until their dying breath. And yet it's the rich ones who, who live and who sleep in Christ Jesus. Well, the rich young ruler already made his choice and his, his decision. Where he walks away in shame, sorrowful, grieved to his heart. Perhaps he made his choice to actually follow Jesus later on. I, you know, I always like to imagine that he may have been one of, of the many thousands of people who, who came to Jesus on the day of Pentecost. Maybe, maybe not. And yet that would not be today, though. And so sadly, this is the very last that we ever know of the rich young ruler. But what we do know is that in the year AD 70, if he did not sell all of that and follow Jesus... It was forcibly snatched out of his hand when Titus came to town. And then the rich young ruler would have become the poor young exile. And so in so many ways, if we want to get rich this morning, Jesus says the time to sell is right now. And I want to close this morning with the example of Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a very, very rich man, Luke informs us of. He is a chief tax collector, which means more than likely he has been gouging people out of land and money for years and years, and he's very, very, very wealthy. Probably even more wealthy than the rich young ruler ever dreamed of be being. And yet, just like the rich young ruler, he runs and he... And at least in his instance, he, he climbs into a tree to get close to Jesus. Jesus comes to his house, and at last, this is what Zacchaeus says to Jesus. Where it says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it times four. And so Jesus said to him that today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so what we see in the life of Zacchaeus is that here is a rich man who sold everything, or more to the point, who, who emptied himself of all of that richness and wealth. And as he draws near to Jesus, and as he enters into his kingdom, what we see is the rich man becoming rich, truly rich, by becoming poor. This is why Jesus said, blessed are the poor. And so again, our big question this morning is, then who can be saved if it's that impossible? Jesus says that it is impossible with man, but with God all things are possible. What are we clinging to? The time to sell is right now.